Hola mi gente. The moment you've been waiting for is finally here. My brand new book, Financially Lit, is officially out. And I can't wait for you to get your copy. Inside this book, I'm bringing you culturally relevant and relatable personal finance advice that will allow you to finally feel seen, heard, and understood. Whether it's the guilt you feel from being the first person to make it while members of your family are still struggling, or the way that financial trauma manifests itself in negative and limiting beliefs around money, Financially Lit is here to guide you through it all. Just a few years ago, it was almost impossible to find personal finance books written for first-generation wealth-building Latinas. We have been forced to navigate the complicated world of money with a bunch of money books written by old white dudes who don't understand what it's like for us first-gen kids. But that stops right here, right now. Inside Financially Lit, you will learn how to set boundaries with your familia, with your dinero, create and pass on generational wealth, diversify and increase your income, protect yourself from financial abuse, navigate the complicated relationship between amor and dinero, invest like a white dude or better, and so much more. You can get your hard copy and audiobook version of Financially Lit at financiallylitbook.com and make sure to join our email list so you can find out when I'm stopping in a city near you for the Financially Lit book tour. See you soon. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Sometimes you just want to be rich to be rich. But like, what else does rich mean to you? Maybe it means leaving a legacy. Maybe it means helping your parents retire. Maybe it means supporting a foundation, starting a foundation, right? Leaving a legacy, making an impact. No one had ever like really put it that way for me. We always talk about money. Yes, leads to opportunities and freedom. But what does that even mean, right? It really hit home for me when she said financial legacy, financial impact. It's not just about you. It could be you're helping your community. And I thought, you know what? I do want to be that woman who can cut a check to an entrepreneur. I do want to be the woman who doesn't have to think about how much to donate. You're listening to Yo Quiero Dinero, a personal finance podcast for the modern Latina. I'm your host, Janice Torres, award-winning Latina personal finance expert. I didn't always have my financial shit together, but when I started looking for POC-friendly personal finance podcasts, I couldn't find any. And so Yo Quiero Dinero was born. On this show, I'll show you how to make dinero, how to keep your dinero, and most importantly, how to make it grow. Each week, I'm connecting you with the most brilliant minds in the world of money and business, so you can learn about investing, entrepreneurship, and building wealth. The best part? I'm dishing up all this knowledge with a sassy side of sazón. So if you're ready to be poderosa with your dinero, you've come to the right place. Let's dive in. Hola, mi gente. Welcome back to another episode of Yo Quiero Dinero, the podcast. This is your host, Janice, and you're listening to episode 96, Why We Need Wealth in the Hands of Women with Farnoosh Tarabi award-winning personal finance expert, and acclaimed host of the So Money podcast. I am honored to call Farnoosh not only an inspiration in the personal finance community, but a mentor and a friend, and I am so excited to be able to bring you this amazing conversation. 
In this episode, we're going to talk about Farnoosh's journey from financial reporter to personal finance expert and podcaster, and we'll talk about her journey as a female breadwinner, which is something that I don't think gets talked about enough, and it's something that I've had to grapple with and many women around me, and it's just this really like weird, awkward situation, like what do we do when we're the ones who are the female breadwinners, right? So I'm so glad we're having that conversation as well as the importance of women owning wealth. It's so much more than just about having money for the sake of having money. For many of us, it's an opportunity to change our families' lives, to change our communities, and to just have an overall greater impact on the world. I think the world would be a much better place and a much safer place if wealth was in the hands of women. So I can't wait to hear your feedback on this conversation about why we need more wealth in the hands of women. If you want to find out more about Farnoosh, you can check out her website at farnoosh.tv or follow her on social at Farnoosh Tarabi. Before we hop into today's conversation, I want to remind you to follow us on social. If you're loving this podcast and you want more community, you want to find out more about our events and all the stuff that we have going on behind the scenes, you can find us on Facebook, Twitter, TikTok, YouTube, Instagram, and everywhere else you love to hang out on the internet. If you're loving this podcast, please take a moment to leave us a review if you listen to us on Apple. It's the easiest way to share our podcast with people that you know and love, and it helps us get discovered by amazing listeners like you. So take a moment, leave us a review, share us with your friends and family, subscribe so that you never miss an episode, and make sure to check out our blog, YoQuieroDineroPodcast.com, where you can sign up for our email list and you'll never miss an episode. Plus, you get exclusive invitations to our live events, special discounts for our digital courses, and as always, our best personal finance tips and advice to help you be poderosa with your dinero. Thanks for listening. Now, let's get into the episode. Farnoosh, welcome to Yo Quiero Dinero. It is such an honor to have you here. Thank you so much, Janice. I'm honored. And to return the favor, you graced my show, So Money, not too long ago. That was a big moment for us. So very excited to join forces again. Absolutely. And I've gotten so much good feedback on that episode. So I just thank you for even giving me the opportunity to come and, and talk about Latinas and money and all of these things that I feel like are so important for us to highlight the nuance of when it comes to personal finance. And, you know, the thing that I admire about you, and I don't know how you're going to take this, but I feel like you are the representative for women of color in personal finance oh my because, gosh. I mean, you have this platform that allows you to reach so many more people. So when I think of the Beyonce, if you will, of personal <laughs> finance, it's you. It really is. Oh my gosh. Whoa. That's a lot of responsibility. Thank you for saying that. I mean, look, I've been doing this for so long. Someone said to me the other day on Instagram, as all the conversations happen in DM, like that's where all the juicy stuff comes out. But people are so sweet. This woman was like, I feel like your star is rising, Farnoosh. I feel like you're going to... And I was like, that's so sweet. But also I've been doing this for 20 years. <laughs> so if my star is only being noticed now, I guess it just goes to show you that you're never an overnight success. It may seem like that to some people who've just discovered your work, who've just... And I'm always so grateful for those just discoveries. But I guess you have that ability to be 
who you are now 20 years later because of the 20 years, right? Yeah. I am different from when I started. Not to say that I have changed my tune, but my experiences, my growing up, maturing, all of that, and also the world evolving the way that it has, has really forced upon us in a, in a really important way, new conversations about money. And I think because now I'm in my 40s, and I'm a mom, and I'm an entrepreneur, like I am less fearful of having those conversations. It takes a lot of risk to talk about things at intersections. Like it used to just be like, talk about money. And now we're talking about money and women, money and uh, gosh. Race like, and gender, right? Race I mean, like and gender and everybody gets so freaked sexuality out. Sexuality <laughs> and all that stuff. And that's uncomfortable territory for a lot of people. And I'll be the first to admit, you know, but you got to have those conversations. Yeah. And I'm just grateful that that work is being recognized, whether that's today or 10 years ago. It's always good. It's always good stuff. So thank you. Yes. And I want to assure you that you have absolutely hit Beyonce status because you don't even need to say your last name at this point. It's just like, oh, we're talking to Farnoosh. Everybody knows exactly who I'm it's talking just about. It's a long so name. Like, right? <laughs> you know. So you've made a girlfriend. You. <laughs> just want to let you. you know. Okay. So we are going to touch on all different aspects of the journey that you've gone on to become Farnoosh. So let's start at the beginning, right? I always love starting the interviews with finding out your money story. Like what did you learn or not learn about money as a kid growing up? Yeah. Wow. It's such a big reason why I, I mean, all of us, like our, our upbringing shapes us and informs us so much. And for me, I grew up a very scared and frightened little girl raised by a 19-year-old immigrant mother, immigrant dad, where on the one hand, we're Middle Eastern. So we talk about money a lot and maybe too much. Some would say, you know, we talk about the good, the bad. I was never shielded from any quote unquote adult conversations about money. I remember my dad coming home and talking about layoffs and should he take the package? I was nine. I was like, what's a package? Is that like, do they, are there balloons in the package? Are there toys for me? Like I didn't understand that there's another package awaiting him. That's not so fun. And they fought about money in front of me. I learned very early on through just witnessing their differences and arguments around money, the importance of having your own financial independence as a woman and how money can be a source of contention in relationships. And so while maybe they weren't very direct in teaching me, I watched a lot of stuff go down. And I also, but I give them credit, right, for not shielding that for me that, again, you know, I grew up taking, I think, the best of that with me, the learnings, as opposed to repeating some of the things that weren't so wonderfully modeled before me, like it's not great to watch your parents argue all the time, but it did teach me a lot. And my mother was were young, you know, she's young. So she was young at the time when she had me. And I think that a lot of children who have mothers that are close in age, maybe they would agree that it's a different relationship that your mother, at least mine, like really confided in me and treated me very much like a daughter, but also almost like a contemporary in a way. Like she, I think maybe was just learning how to be a mom. And some people were like, that should TMI, you know, Mrs. Tarabi, like don't tell your daughter all these things. But she was really real with me and really also scared, I think, and projected that onto me, but I think was very much uh, an open book to me. You know, she didn't hide her feelings from me when she was upset about something. Maybe I remember when she got a job finally and was making her own money, you know, and she was telling me, you know, this is the best feeling. I get to go buy things that I want. I get to have savings. I could see how it was providing her with that agency. And so 
it is absolutely why I am who I am, right? On the one hand, that fluency around money that I grew up with has shown up in my career, right? It's why I feel comfortable doing what I do and feel very much purpose-driven in that because I know not everyone had that upbringing and money is so taboo still. But also I think that all those real life experiences that I went through, uh, the good and the bad, the financial conversations, the arguments, but also seeing my parents work their tails off, like a lot of immigrants, right? They come with very little, they work, they have this incredible work ethic and they succeeded. We moved a lot from one neighborhood to another to try to get to better schools, a better home, safer neighborhoods, all of that I saw. And that has continued to impact me. Yeah, I I can so identify with your story. And it's amazing how even though your parents are from the Middle East, my parents are from the Caribbean, like that immigrant story is so universal. And so seeing things like the importance of women having agency when it comes to their finances, I saw the same thing, right? Because my mom worked part time until I was in high school because she didn't trust anybody to raise her kids and do the babysitting thing. And so she sacrificed benefits She didn't have a 401k till she was almost like in her mid forties. And I saw that and I was like, I never want to be in the position where I have to choose my kids or my job or my career or my, it's like, it's why we love moms. I mean, they sacrifice everything. Yeah. They don't wait for things to be given to them. No. That's the thing. There was no sense of privilege at all growing up that everything came with a trade-off, everything you had to work hard for. If you did get lucky, if you gosh, if you did somehow win 20 bucks on the lottery or whatever, like, or some luck went in your direction, it was that. It was luck. And we had to be really grateful for it. We were grateful for the things we worked really hard for also and received. You know, we didn't take our own work ethic for granted. My parents never let me forget that. And I think that it's why I have this now lens through which I look at the world, which is this. And it's kind of funny, but I guess it's like no one is going to hand you stuff. Like you need to literally create the world you want because the world, if you just let it be and let it affect you, it usually doesn't work out for most people. Everybody who has succeeded that I know, there's struggle, there is adversity, there is overcoming of things. And it's not to say that, you know, just pull yourself up by your bootstraps, but there is something to be said about not accepting the world and taking it for granted and saying, okay, well, things are going to work out for me because there are good people everywhere. The system is going to favor me. No, it's not, right? It's all about like you against the world. I don't mean to sound like gladiator about it, but it is an adventure, right? You got to approach it like this sort of labyrinth. And and so how to design that life, right, that you want. It takes money, among other things. And I bring that to the conversation, sort of the money piece to it, you know? Mm -hmm. So let's think about the life that you want. And there are all these obstacles and there's adversity and there's sexism and there's racism and like, Okay, so you can dedicate some of your life to working on those bigger issues and and fighting those systemic problems. But also you need to like enjoy your life. We want to get you to a happy place. Absolutely. So how do we do that in tandem? Yes, I love that. Okay, so let's walk through your career. How did Farnoosh become Farnoosh the money expert? Well, I think that before I wanted to be a money expert, I just wanted to be somebody who was helping and communicating. And I just knew that I wanted to be somewhere in that world where I was presenting and 
enlightening people, like giving them information. The idea of being a journalist for me completely resonated as early as like 11 years old when my fifth grade teacher was like, this week, we're going to all create our own newspaper. And I was like, light bulb. Funny enough, like I never grew up with newspapers in my house. My parents did not invest in like content. (laughs) We weren't like a magazine, like a magazine never came to our door unless it was free. Like that never happened. It was like such a splurge to get people magazine or even like a New York times. So, and yet I just knew that I wanted to do something in the storytelling universe, the news driving, like informing people. Like that's the best way to help people is to inform them to make more educated decisions. And it wasn't until college when I had to pick a major and I was struggling real hard. I went from like, I bounced from like political science to theater to French. Finally, my father, who is a PhD in physics and extremely numbers oriented and his brain is like, I just did not get that. I did not inherit that, but I did inherit his rational side. And he said, you know what? You're in college. It's not free. Although it was a pen, it was a state school. So it was like more affordable. He's like, this is an investment in your life. So you can do theater as an activity. Please like take all the French side clubs you want, like go to France. He, I say abroad in Paris, but like in the end, walk out of this university after you've given them all this money with a degree that will get you a return on your investment. And that's extremely practical. And it's not like follow your passion, which is what we always hear. My parents never said follow your passion. They said follow the money. <laughs> that's just not a thing for immigrants. No, like we don't have like, for that. Passion. Like what the hell is that? You know, it's like, how rude of me. My parents sacrificed everything to come here. And now I'm going to be like, I'm going to be a drama theater major. And maybe like if I'm lucky, work at Panera half the time and (laughs) audition the rest of the afternoon. And also, can I live with you until I'm 35? Like, I just thought that I had this a little bit of an unspoken, like it wasn't like they told me this all the time, but I felt it. I felt like I had to pay back the dues or at least take carry the torch forward. And like, the reality is like some majors just won't pay. You'd be lucky to get a job. Not to say that college is the end all. Not to say that like what you study in college defines you. It certainly doesn't. Look at me. I mean, I studied finance. So back to your question, like I studied finance because what better degree <laughs> that will get money? <laughs> right. Money. Study money, make the money. But even then I was like, this doesn't feel right to me. I do appreciate this learning about the financial world, business, all that. But I still want to be on the side of this business where you're telling the stories and you're informing and you're educating. So I thought about maybe becoming a teacher, but I was like, no, it's news, it's media. So I just went to Columbia Journalism School after that right away to be able to pair that degree with communications and media. And I started working at Money Magazine because of course, like that was it. Like A plus B equals Money Magazine. And fell in love with it. fell in love with hearing people's stories. Like I just found that I'm a really good listener. People open up to me. I'm also a good hustler. Like the finance background in college, I also worked a sales job. That helped a lot because it helps with your hustle, just getting yourself out there, marketing yourself, pitching your stories. A lot of journalism is if you have business skills, you can be really good at media and journalism because a lot of the time it's just convincing somebody else that you have an important story to tell. So you should buy that story or print that story. And so I did that and also learned early on the importance of diversifying your skill set. So for whatever reason, I saw that journalism, while at the core of it is very important, the way that we share content, this was now 2003, 
This is before YouTube. This is before social media, really. I mean, we think Facebook might have been around, but it was, I could tell like blogs were taking off. The internet was becoming the new media. And I thought I need to learn more than just how to write for a newspaper because I need to stay gainfully employed for like 50 more years and the world and how we consume information is changing. So I did as best I could to learn how to film, how to shoot, how to do radio. All these different jobs that I took was with that purpose in mind. So first I worked in magazines. My next job was in television. My next job was in digital, working for a website, helping them launch video. I published a book in the meantime because I knew how important it was to have your own stake, like mark your own territory in your profession. So while it's nice to have a nine to five job sometimes, you also want to think about how else you can monetize your skill set in a way that you get to own that intellectual property. It's easy to say talk about this within the realm of like media and content creation, but even if you're a PhD academic or a professor or gosh like I don't know, a plumber, you know, I mean, and you work for a company outside of that, how can you leverage your intellect, your skills, your experience that it would in a non-competitive way to sort of create your own financial security and also your own career identity outside of that nine to five, right? So because if that nine to five goes away, you can go back to doing that more. And that's actually what happened to me. I got laid off in 2009. This was now I was on like my third or fourth job. I had published a book on the side, which had really done well and taken on a life of its own, had brought on a lot of different opportunities and started to actually compete a little bit with my ability to do my nine to five. And I was struggling. I was like, do I quit my job? That's not very Iranian of me. Like my parents will (laughs) not be happy about that. There's benefits. There's like dental. I got to think really, what would dad do? Right. Well, luckily I got laid off and the decision was made for me and it was also the recession. So there wasn't an ease of going back into a job like that. They were all going away. So I just said, good. Okay. This is the universe telling me, like pushing me towards that direction, which I down deep, I knew was the right one. And literally from 2009 on, I have never gone back to working for on staff anywhere. I've always been contributing or freelancing. But it's a company now. It's a small, lean company. I've only ever employed like one other person full time. Are you and, serious? Um, oh my God. Yeah. Like it's the best kept secret. <laughs> you know, you do something enough for 10 years, you learn how to get efficient. You learn where to emphasize your time and what you can outsource. And not to say, I definitely have people that work f- with me, freelancers and other team members, but they're not their only partner. And it's, good because, you know, I got two kids. I've got other things I want to do. And funny enough, I'm considering maybe going back and working for a nine to five right now. I'm not sure. Sometimes it's good to shake things up. And it's been a while for me since I've like worked with really smart, intelligent people every single day, you know, like a team. And I don't know, maybe there's something about that that I miss, but the jury is still out on that, as they say. That's really interesting. So thank you for sharing your story. It's so identify, especially with this idea of like doing the responsible thing and like what that looks like for you versus (laughs) for your family, right? Because I just recently quit my job doing the self-employed thing for a while. And I'm wondering, because I know I've personally had to deal with a lot of like limiting beliefs around my capabilities to even become an entrepreneur. So I'm wondering if you've dealt with 
those in the beginning phase, like what were some of those limiting beliefs you had to overcome about money and your abilities in order to really take that leap? Well, in the very beginning, I was thinking really about the immediate obstacles like, oh, well, how am I going to get my health insurance and how will I fund my retirement? And what if I just had a good year, but then will it repeat, you know? And you get over it, especially when you're forced <laughs> the situation. You're like, oh, there's Cobra and then I can get a marketplace and then I got married and I can piggyback on my husband's insurance. So that stuff I think is very common. People concern themselves with that. And you do have to navigate that. And it's not impossible. And it should not be the reason you don't pursue your business. Then it became more, for me, the roadblocks, they did become more mental in that I started to worry about being able to become a mother and an entrepreneur at the same time. Like, I definitely have to like shrink the business or if I don't want to shrink the business, I'm going to be a bad mom. Right. And when my son was born, funny enough, this was in 2014, that year I doubled my income. And it's because I started the podcast and it was a direct response to becoming a mom, which lean into motherhood, right? That was what I wish someone had told me. And still we tell women motherhood is like a handicap as a career handicap. Well, yeah, if you work for corporate America, it can be tough because if they're also not very flexible and understanding of your family needs and for dads too, it's an inflexible environment a lot of times to work in corporate America. But when you're your own boss, I mean, you make the rules. And what really shifted for me when I became a mom was, yes, I didn't have all the time anymore. I didn't really want to leave my house all the time. I, I didn't want to travel as much. And so I misinterpreted that as meaning like revenue streams were going to go away and I would just be left with less. But instead, I thought, how can I make do with what I have? And I said, basically, I want to continue to make an impact. I don't want to leave my house as much. and. I started to listen to what was happening around me. Like, where's all the activity going? In media, again, there's always like some new thing, right? Now it's like social media, TikTok. Then it was podcasting. And I saw a lot of guys podcasting in my space, making money and only talking amongst themselves about it. I actually like interrupted them once at a cocktail, like work event. Like, so after my son was born, a few months later, I went to this FinCon, which is like a financial conference for creators and the content creators in the financial space will probably have gone or will go. And you always look for where the guys are huddling. Like, what are they talking about? Because they're probably talking about stuff your girlfriends aren't talking about. And it's usually about money or business or how to like become more successful. That's their dialogue. And so they were talking about podcasting. And I was like, okay. I took one of their phone numbers. I was like, I'm going to call you next week and you're going to give me all the details. And he did. He was so generous with his knowledge. And it got me thinking. I was like, look, I'm a journalist. I have broadcast experience. I've done radio. I'm not afraid of the tech. I'm going to figure this out. And you know what? I just had it in my mind. I was like, I'm going to kick ass at this thing and I'm going to just work at it until it works. And I figured out, you know, how to design the podcast in a way that I would enjoy it just as much as the listener. Like, what are the things that I want to learn and I can continue to learn? And that was it. It like, has been for the last now six years, the thing that has centralized my work. And from that, I get other work, right? So for me, before that, books were the catalyst for work. Like the books don't make money as much as you would like directly, unless you, you know, some people get major advances, but a lot of times authors monetize their authority, 
not the book. The book establishes their authority and then they get opportunities to speak, to be on panels, to partner with brands, to host things. And that was what happened. And I was always like, I got to do a book every few years because it's like good momentum for me. It's how I get out there. But eventually I got tired of the book you know, world and I wanted something different. And it's for me, it's been the podcast. So I doubled my income after my son was born. And it was, I'll tell you, I had a very important conversation with a woman who is a, for me, she's like the original gangster in the world of women and money. And it's Barbara Stanny. She wrote many books all on this topic, a different generation, but she had been on my podcast a couple of times and I was interviewing her for another thing. And, and then we got to talking about myself and she's coaching women to become millionaires, essentially like millionaires to become multimillionaires. And I was not making, mil- I was making like a, f- I'll be honest, like 400, 500, 600, just depending on the year. And I was very happy with that. We were comfortable. My husband was also working. Like we had everything we wanted. And she said to me, why is that impossible for you? Why wouldn't you want to do that? And I told her exactly what I just told you. I said, well, you know, why do I need to do that? Like, I just assume that if I go for that, something's got to give. My kids are going to hate me. I'm going to get a divorce. Right. I got to work 24-7. Like, I thought that that was going to become like Bethany Frankel or something, you know, where like <laughs> all business, no personal life. Right. And um, she was like, no. I mean, look, you need to just figure out your way to make that money. And what you are focusing right now is on how other people are making that money. Because I was watching all my girlfriends who were in like the online marketing world, who are online marketers first, experts second. We can talk about that later. Yeah. You just like people just, let me just one more thing on that. Like there's so many people that claim to be experts, but no, they are marketers. So their job is like, okay, I'm really good at selling. So what's going to be my expertise? Mm -hmm. Like they go, it's backwards for them. For me, it's like, I'm an expert and now I got to market. And I don't really love that. You know, I don't love like the selling, the online stuff. Like, oh my goodness. It's not why I got into this, right? Yeah. And I was like, uh, I don't want to do that. So guess I'm never going to be a millionaire. Mm. I don't want to like scale to the millions. And that, <laughs> you know, that's what I thought I had to do. And I was like, I have to hire 50 people. I have to give Facebook $30,000 a month in ads. <laughs> like this is not the life that I want for myself, nor did I get into it for this reason. And, right. you know, journalists don't make traditionally that much money. So for the fact that I was making what I was making, I was like, I'm like the most successful person in my graduating class at Columbia financially. So like, I think I should relax. And she said to me, look, you got to find your why. She's like, look, sometimes you just want to be rich to be rich. That doesn't sound like who you are. But like, what else does rich mean to you? Maybe it means leaving a legacy. Maybe it means helping your parents retire. Maybe it means supporting a foundation, starting a foundation, right? Leaving a legacy, making an impact. That really spoke to me. No one had ever like really put it that way for me. We always talk about money. Yes, leads to opportunities and freedom, but what does that even mean, right? It really hit home for me when she said financial legacy, financial impact. It's not just about you. It could be you're helping your community. And I thought, you know what? I do want to be that woman who can cut a check to an entrepreneur. I do want to be the woman who doesn't have to think about how much to donate when there's a crisis. Like some nights I'm like doom scrolling on the internet and someone will have a GoFundMe. I don't know who this person is, but I'm brought to tears and I just give them a thousand dollars, you know? Yeah. And they're like, who the is this person who just gave us this all? And I'm just like, because I can, this is like what I worked hard for, right? To be able to be kind of impulsive with my money, but in a way that I know is purpose-driven and is true to me. 
and I'm doing all of it now and I have hit that seven figure threshold. And it's because I didn't try to do it like everybody else. I tried to, I was like very real about it. I was like, I have this much time. I have these skill sets. And there was a little bit of forecasting. Like this is where I think there is some opportunity. So there was some risk, but it was calculated risk. I wasn't like throwing out the baby with the bathwater. I still have other things going on. I wasn't just podcasting 24 seven, but I was like, I think this is where I should be investing some of my time and money because you got to build it. Yeah. And it paid off. It's continuing to pay off. And it was because I just worked smarter, but also harder. Sometimes we like to say just work smarter. How about if you work hard and smart at the same time? I think, you know, everybody who's like, the harder but not smarter thing or whatever. It's just like it's very much a four hour work week and like that doesn't speak to me. No. Four hour work week. You know. I never take the bro marketing advice very seriously. It's just not relevant not to me. what I'm going through. But um Yeah. I like a four day work week. <laughs> yeah. That's a lot more reasonable. Six, six to seven hours a day, but like the hours that I choose, you know, it yes. doesn't have to be like nine to five. It could be like eleven to five and then you work a little bit before dinner or after dinner. (laughs) I love that. Okay. So let's talk more about women earning money, right? So you got this advice, you put some stuff in place and you started seeing the return on your investment by becoming a seven figure earner, right? And I think, I love what you talked about in the sense of, I personally think that if women framed the desire to earn more with the impact that that income could have, they'd feel a lot less shitty about wanting that money. Because I think so many of us feel like, why do we need this much? And we're always just thinking about like everything that could go wrong versus everything that could go right when we just are honest with ourselves about wanting more. What are your thoughts on how we can start to become better income earners? I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me, because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates, like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. Selling a little or a lot. Shopify helps you do your thing however you cha-ching. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online store shop phase to the first real life store stage, all the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage? Shopify is there to help you grow. Whether you're selling scented soap or offering outdoor outfits, Shopify helps you sell everywhere. From their all-in-one e-commerce platform to their in-person POS system, wherever and whatever you're selling, Shopify's got you covered. Shopify helps you turn browsers into buyers with the internet's best converting checkout, 36% better on average compared to other leading commerce platforms. And sell more with less effort thanks to Shopify Magic, your AI-powered all-star. What I love about Shopify is how no matter how big you want to grow, Shopify gives you everything you need to take control and take your business to the next level. Shopify powers 10% of all e-commerce in the U.S. And Shopify is the global force behind Allbirds, Rothy's, and Brooklinen, and millions of other entrepreneurs of every size across 175 countries. 
Plus, Shopify's award-winning help is there to support your success every step of the way. Because businesses that grow, grow with Shopify. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash dinero, all lowercase. Go to shopify.com slash dinero now to grow your business no matter what stage you're in. Shopify.com slash dinero. Well, it starts with just understanding why you feel that way, right? And it could be that you're maybe around really shitty people. I remember reading this article in recently in New York Magazine about a woman who overnight made millions of dollars because her company IPO'd. And it's a little different than what we're talking about, which is like going out there and making that money. She didn't really make that money. She had a job at the company, but that IPO really did the work of the earning those millions. But she said in the article that she was really struggling with it and that she didn't feel worthy of it and she wanted to give the money back. And later on in the article about how her parents made her feel really crummy about it and what does this say about her and, you know, is she a good person for taking this money when especially now there are so many people who don't have money? And I was like, exactly. So you're a good person, it sounds like. More money in your hands, that's what the world needs. Think about all the really terrible people in this world who don't have a moral compass, who are very selfish, very narcissistic, and are extremely wealthy. That is a dangerous cocktail, okay? We tend to masculinize the idea of money and what it can represent. And if you're not male identifying, right? Even if you are a guy, but you're like, I don't really identify with that bro aspect of money, that sort of brand of money. Well, that's okay. Like that's not the only way to, they don't, the only thing money represents. Find what money can represent for you. Do the money you. (laughs) And you know, you got to have compassion for everybody. I'm not coming from this place of like, don't talk to your mother anymore. It's like easier said than done. But I think that it's important that you get real strong in your positioning on why you not just should have this money, but why the world needs you to have this money. It is a responsibility, right? People sometimes don't feel ready for the wealth. Yeah. And that's okay too. You know, some people that are madly wealthy are not ready for the responsibility, but that shouldn't be the reason you don't go after it. There is definitely a mindset work that has to happen, but it should not delay your perseverance of this. You know, just know that you can build a plane while you're flying it. You know, you can pursue wealth while you're trying to get sort of in the mindset of what it means to be a wealthy person and what it will mean to you and your family. I mean, this is a good problem to have. It should not be a bad problem to have. You know, your desire to make money, but feeling a little ambivalent about it or unsure about it. You're not alone, first of all. Like a lot of people feel this way. And there is a relationship between you feeling whole and strong and confident. And then, you know, your money relationship over here, like your personal relationship with yourself and your money relationship. I always say money makes you more of who you are. So get to the truest person you are. Get to the core of that person, right? I believe in X, Y, and Z. I am purpose driven in these areas. And so bringing wealth into my life will only make those things more abundant, perhaps, right? I am somebody who believes in helping other women, or I am somebody who believes in comfort and making things easy and no stress. Don't feel bad also about making this personal. Like money should help you too, right? right? I was on a panel with somebody who was like, listen, 
I just want to be rich to be rich. Is that okay? Like, I just want to buy stuff. I want to like dress fancy. I want a big house. That's my why. And I was like, do that's good. Fine. Like, <laughs> I praise you for saying that out loud because I think enough of us want, feel like it's okay to say that, you know, everybody needs a higher cause. Like, and it's I don't like- want to say that women, y'all need to get on this like charity bandwagon. And that's the only reason that we should all have money. No, but I'm saying that if that's what motivates you go with that, you know, and yeah. it is true that women do donate more uh, across all income levels, regardless of the fact that there is this wage gap. We, as a percentage of our incomes across all income levels, we give more to causes than men. And I think that says something about it, you know, about why it's important for more women to be rich because the world does become a better place. Absolutely. Amen to that. Okay. So one thing I want to touch on with you is the idea of the female breadwinner. Right. So there are more women going to college. There are more women getting higher education. There are more women becoming the breadwinners of their households. And with that is sort of a cultural shift, especially like for communities of color with the Latinx community. There's this machismo that like men are the ones who were supposed to earn income and it can cause friction in a relationship if you are the breadwinner. So what advice do you have to female breadwinners to? navigate this space that maybe they don't have a reference point with their moms or their grandmothers about like what the hell this even looks like. Right. Well, first, I just want to say congratulations. You're awesome. And high five, because that is not something we hear enough when we achieve this goal. I did everything my parents told me to do. And then some, I did everything that all the glamour magazines and Marie Claire magazines and entrepreneur magazines told me to do. I did that. Then I got to a place where I was so financially comfortable and capable that I got to marry for, wait for it, love. <laughs> Go and <laughs> I didn't have to worry about what my husband made or how much money he wanted to make or what his bonus was or any of that. Or, you know, of course we talked about money a lot. I wanted to know what kind of a financial person he was. Like, do you have student loan debt, credit card debt? Like, what's your relationship with money? But it was so liberating for me to be able to pursue this area of my life without that economic stress, right? That so many women have and their families have for their daughters, right? To make sure they marry well, using big air quotes, right? Because that's what marriage was. It was an economic contract. It was a financial contract. You're going to take care of our daughter, give you a couple mules or whatever, like in exchange, handshake, right? So We've been fighting against that. We, that isn't that what like feminism is to be able to stand in your own ground, make your own decisions and do you to the fullest extent without judgment or without barriers. And so I got to marry like the guy that I literally told the universe when I was 19 that I was going to marry. He didn't know this, but I remember seeing him. We went to college together and after a few, you know, spending some time with him, we weren't dating, none of that, but I was like, man, he's good material. And I'd be so lucky if we got together at one point, but I will marry him actually. So I did say that out loud. This is not like my personality. I don't like manifest things. I don't like candles, but I did see him and I don't know what came over me, Janice, but I was like, I'm going to marry you. (laughs) I was 19 and like life goes on. We did not date nothing. And, but when I was 26, we met again and we started dating. And it was like, for me, it was like, I mean, the earth shook and just be careful what you tell things, say out loud when you think nobody's listening. It's so true. There was like a tinkerbell in that somewhere in that room. 
And so all this to say that I got to a place where I could marry for love and I felt like nobody was celebrating it because they were judging. Mm. They were like, wait a minute. So um, not that on paper you could tell, like journalist, software developer. Everyone might think the software developer is making more. I still can't explain to my parents how I make a living. Oh my God. But I was making more. I mean, I had a book deal. I had speaking engagements. I had brand partnerships. Yes, I was like a journalist as far as the IRS was concerned. That was like my title and my tax return. But behind the curtain, I had a lot of revenue streams and I owned a house and all this stuff. And so my mom was really concerned mostly. Like, I guess I got my friends wouldn't really even know until I told them. And again, I wasn't talking about it even casually because I already could sense this was going to be a weird thing to bring up. And when I told people I was researching this at dinner parties or wherever I would be in a social setting, like, oh, what are you up to, Farnage? Oh, I'm writing about female breadwinners and, you know, making more in your marriage as a woman. And if I was talking to like a married couple, oh, man, it was weird. Like crickets. Crickets. Or the wife later would pull me aside and be like, "Um, if you ever want to use me as a source for your article, I'd be happy to go off the record. I'm like, oh, you too? It was like we were finding ourselves, you know, in this world. Nobody had... We felt ashamed. We felt unaccepted. We felt embarrassed. We felt bad for our husbands. And like, oh, it's so complicated. So that's why I say, like, I just want to say to you, like, you rock. And you should be so effing proud of yourself. The thing I would say is to, there's certainly, I have a book on it. It's called When She Makes More. And the thing that I always want to start with is by saying, you have to have so much compassion that it's very easy. And I heard this from like the best of feminists who were very upset with me over this book. Why are you writing a book telling women how to behave when she's a breadwinner? Why are you telling women? And I'm like, because they're asking me. Because the men aren't asking me. Maybe my next book will be when he makes less. But right now I'm focusing on the breadwinners and they need help. And I want to give them some advice. And excuse me. And so You have to like understand that how you're feeling is nothing to be ashamed of and how your husband's feeling, if he is feeling a little emasculated or like lost at sea, because we have been told since birth, generally speaking, that as a woman, you will provide nurture, care. Men, you go out and you kill and you hunt and you financially provide for your family. And that's how we're going to measure your success. That's how you're going to be called a good father or a good husband. And a good mom is somebody who bakes all the cookies for the bake sale and is home at three o'clock when her kids get off the bus and is there for all the warm hugs. And so when those scripts flipped or when you're doing less of those things as that gender, you're like, wait a minute, am I still going to get the trophy at the end of this? You know, and so there's a real sense of dilemma of around like who you are, your commitment, your contribution, your place in the world. And that's fair because that's how we've been raised. You can't just dismiss that. So I encourage couples to really explore these feelings and go, okay, maybe this is an an opportunity to talk about your money relationship, how you grew up around money. Like maybe your husband feels he still loves you and appreciates and like is so proud of you, but for himself, he's feeling like he is not living up to his promise, quote, promise, or, you know, his purpose. And so, like, give yourselves the space to feel what you feel and talk about it and not to judge. Because I know I often I would hear, like, if he's not appreciative that I make more, well, I'm just going to divorce him or I'm never going to date that guy. It's like, well, the dating pool is pretty slim and tight as it is. So why don't instead of, like, dismissing people, like, money is always going to be a tough road in your most couples argue about money then you add to it this layer of complexity and nuance 
an economic difference that we are not used to. And it's going to make things a little, it's discussion worthy. Okay. So let's have the discussion. So have the discussion. And then I mentioned the whole idea of purpose and how that can be thrown off for the women too. They're like, am I a good wife if I'm working and making more, but I'm not like cooking dinner every night or making the house look all like architectural digest, you know, and not to say that you can't do both of those things, but like, I find that women overcompensate in those areas to their detriment. Like you can't, if you're a surgeon and you're a woman, like you come home, you're going to want to like make a four course meal and like pick out wallpaper. Like you could, but why are you doing it? Is it because you feel like you have to overcompensate in those departments? And the answer is usually yes, Mm -hmm. because she feels like she's underperforming as a wife, as a mother, as all of those things, traditionally speaking. So like you got to get over that, but really redefine your purposes in the marriage. And realize that marriage is like this living, breathing thing. And if you were to like work for a company and the company changes, your role might change too. So having those discussions fluently and often when you're making more one day, but you might be making nothing the next because you lost your job. So then what? You have to be able to be nimble. And just one last thing I'll say about this. The husbands that I interviewed for this book who were the most on board and the happiest, whose wives were also happy, like the marriage is working, quote unquote. You know, there's problems, but this was not a problem. The fact that she made more was not a problem. Why? They always said, we just do what we have to do. We're a team. The money-making aspect of our relationship is just one aspect. Yeah. There's a lot of other things that have to get done. Money's important, but it's not that person who makes more is not the most important person. Their needs aren't more important. Their time's not more important. Everyone's time and life is equal in this relationship. Mm-hmm. And regardless of who's making more or less or nothing. Yes, I love that. And I think there cannot be enough said about getting therapy because a lot of the shit that we have associated with money has to do with how we grew up, what we saw. And so I'm a big fan of not only individual therapy, but couples counseling, if that is something that you need. Like sometimes we need that third party to just hop in and be like, look, this is why you feel like this. Yeah. Sometimes we're just not that intuitive about ourselves. It's such a good point. And now there are financial therapists, folks who have both the certifi- certification in financial planning, but also have a therapy background. So they really can come to talk to you about that in a very intimate way. And I know it, I mean, we worked with a financial planner who was like our therapist in the beginning (laughs) of our marriage because it just helps to have that sort of objective third-party person tell you what to do. Mm -hmm. And so for whatever reason, if there isn't any resentment or feeling less than in the relationship because of the financial dynamic, there's so many triggers, right? You could say something so simple, like, can you write that check to our lawnmower next week? And then the other person could be like, do you not think that I have money? You know, like it could turn into something really unnecessary. But if the planner is telling you what needs to get done, you know, you can blame her and (laughs) she can be the punching bag. And that's, you know, sometimes couples need that. (laughs) Yes, I love that. Okay, so I know that for me, I feel like I've kind of grown and evolved as as I get older, my priorities and my money goals change. And so I'm curious, how have your money goals or priorities changed as you've gotten older, as you become a parent versus, you know, when you're like a 20 something year old coming out of school? Yeah. I'm focusing a lot more on investing right now. It's less about making more, 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 although that would be nice, but it's really about being so 
optimizing the income. Whereas I feel like when I first had kids, my kids are not so old now, but you know, four and six, when they start going to school full-time, things change. Your expenses go down. Childcare costs drop extremely. And I can't wait for that. You know, I'm going to miss our caregiver and she's like family and she'll still be a part of our lives. But like the idea of investing that is going to be so helpful to us. And, or I just don't have to worry about making as much, right? Because that's like not a huge expense anymore. And so there's like definitely a shift that happens, especially for parents as their kids get older. We're looking more at how to invest in our home and our giving back and all that stuff that maybe we couldn't prioritize earlier because we were just trying to like pay off our student loans or when you first have kids, there's a lot of expenses and, you know, moving from one place to the next. And so I feel like now I can be a little bit more long-term thinking with my money as opposed to worrying about like this month, next month, three months from now. You know, I always say I work hard so my life can be easy. I love that. It's true. I feel like, you know, life's not easy, but it is, you are able to sort of get onto these systems and these pathways and, but you have to constantly check in. You always have to check in and be ready for any twists and turns for sure. We bought a house in the pandemic. We didn't know what we were going to be in for, but luckily, you know, so glad we did it when we did because now I don't think we'd be able to compete in this Mm -hmm. market. There's just like 19 people bidding on a house. Right. And they're all asking over over the asking price. They're buying it with Bitcoin. I don't know. (laughs) I don't have that. Yeah. I'm not into like cryptocurrency. I'm interested. I'm educating myself. I bought a mutual fund that invests in blockchain technologies. Okay. Because I do think the infrastructure, I can speak more confidently that that is the thing that's going to stay around. Right. These currencies, I mean, Bitcoin probably will be here forever, but like all these other little currencies, who the heck knows? Right? I don't know how I feel about it either. That's I'm still wrapping my head around like, why do I want to buy this? And because you want to sound like you're, you know, it's so, <laughs> and the people who are into it are so aggressively into yeah. it. Yeah. And I really admire some of these people, but sometimes when they get on the topic of crypto, I want to scream. It's like I crypto say, shaming like, is a thing now. <laughs> I, for every positive thing they can say about crypto, I can come up with a negative thing. Yeah. But they're not talking about any of the negative things. And I think that's really unfair to their audience. Yeah. Well, and I think that just speaks to like the fact that personal finance and the world of finance is always changing. So you can't expect yourself to become an expert in all things. Like you just have to pick one thing, a couple things and to and focus do those on things that. all the time that there you go. <laughs> it's the same thing with business. You know, I have people who come to me for business advice. I, I have a podcast course. Everyone's like, Oh my God, I'm so tired. I've been promoting my podcast on like 18 different social media platforms. And I've made all these like, I'm just like, just pick a lane, just pick like Instagram and like Facebook, like, you know, your website, like (laughs) don't spread yourself too thin. Just be consistent with those two or three things. This is not a sprint. This is a marathon. And maybe I won't make the 3000% return on Dogecoin, but I'm going to make every year on average, maybe 10 to 12% in the U S stock market until I'm ready to retire. And that for me is like a way better cadence and pace that's gambling to me when you p- pick a stock or a thing and put your own you know a ton of money in that i think that officially makes us geriatric millennial <laughs> yes or <laughs> elder millennial or i just decided it's going to be that's dr millennial esquire the third to you 
I'll own it. I will. If we're going to go old with the millennials. I'm just going to add on a lot of degrees to <laughs> yes, my title. All the initials. <laughs> <laughs> I love that. Okay. So I know you said you're not big on manifestation, but I'm a big believer in like affirmations, you know, for mindset work. So I'm curious, do you have any like money mantras that you repeat to yourself when you're trying to just get yourself in the zone for something new or scary? Well, I don't know if it's for something scary. I mean, I think the world's a scary place all the time. So that's always, uh, I'm actually writing a book called A Healthy State of Panic. <laughs> Let me know what that looks like. Cause I'm not sure. I'll be back on the podcast with that. I mean, it's just, it's just, it's my purview. Like the world's a scary place. So go, you yeah. know, here you go. Um, <laughs> but I think my, I don't know who said this first and I, I, Sorry, I don't know who to credit this to, but there's a saying, you don't get what you deserve. You get what you negotiate. Ooh. And I wish the world was a happier, better kumbaya place where you did always get what you deserve. And sometimes you can feel like you got that because you deserved it. But you also probably worked real hard and you were strategic and maybe you negotiated away your way through it. You know, like, let's also be clear, like in a capitalist society, it's always about proving your value to get what you're worth. Even if you are self-employed, you got to always be proving your value to your audience, your community, to yourself, all of it. So it is true that we all are worthy of things and money, but you're not just going to get it because you think you deserve it. That's not enough. If that's your approach, like, I don't know, unless you're a white man, able-bodied, like that might work for you. But for a lot of us, that's not how the world works, right? I'm deserving of a lot of things. You're deserving of a lot of things. But like, we're not just going to expect that that's going to manifest itself, right? We have to put in the work, mm. more work sometimes than others. It is what it is. Yeah. Oh, I love that. Good I thing I like work. Yeah, I like work. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> that makes it a little easier. You guys want me that hard work? Bring it. I got nothing else. Yeah. I have work ethic. I actually will be the first to admit that like, I'm not the smartest person at all. Like, I don't think Stop I have, it. I'm not, no, no, no. I mean, people have told me this. <laughs> they're like, you're, they're always like, I have a friend who is really smart and she can be really mean sometimes, but she's smart. And I've, I've taken a lot of her advice, but she's like, you're the hardest working person I know. And I know what she's really saying. She's really saying is like, you're no genius, but you work hard <laughs> and I'll take it. I think that I'm in it for the, I'm in it to win it. Right. I'm in it for the long run. I'm not here to like, you know, I'm not here for short wins mm -hmm. to like figure out the system and take the shortcuts. Right. Yeah. And then because I actually do find pleasure in the work. Fortunately, fortunately, because, you know, I think that one thing I haven't said is that I was really lucky and that I identified what I like to do so early on. Right. Mm -hmm. 11 years old. How do you know that? Like my son still thinks he wants to be a rescue bot, you know, like I don't, he sticks. Like that's not actually a job. Evan. It's going to be a, a Bitcoin miner. Yeah. <laughs> like you're going to be a space alien that comes to earth. And <laughs> that's amazing. My, my daughter on the other hand says she wants to be a doctor. So I'm not going to like necessarily push her into that, but I'm going to get her all the Doc McStuffins things. In yeah. The I mean, I think if you give her your dad's advice of just like make the return on investment worth it, I think she'll be good. In yeah. A good place. Because also like to approach your work like that, I think is really wise because your work shouldn't be everything, right? Your work should be an aspect of your life. And if there is an aspect of your life that is profit making, well, that's important. 
Yeah. And then you have all this other room and time for passion. I don't, I think that this, my friend Terry Trespicio did a whole TED talk on like how we have misled a generation of people by saying like, follow your passion. I appreciate that. But I also feel like it needs to come with like a toolkit. <laughs> yeah. Or like a parenthesis that says if it's making money. <laughs> yeah. Because, or it's like, follow your passion. You know who follows their passion? Like the only friends that I have that have followed their passion are my friends who grew up with a world in their pocket. Mm, yeah. World in their pocket. They had money. They had privilege. They had, oh my gosh, they had everything that you would need, frankly, to be able to pursue something strictly for the passion. You know, I wish the world was a more kinder place, but it's just doesn't work out that way a lot of times. No. And I love your sort of practical but still loving approach to life and money because there is you got to balance those two things. Like we can't get lost in the fantasy. We have to be grounded in reality, but we can also aspire for a little bit more. So yeah, yeah. I, I was just going to say like for folks who are kind of right there at that place where they're like, I know there's more out there for me. I know that I can do more. What is your advice for folks who are ready to start changing their money story, but they don't know where to start? Start by finding someone or some people who you love to be around because they inspire you. They say things that no one else is saying, but maybe you've been hearing it in your head. You know, the voices in your head have been saying this stuff. I got so much inspiration from following people. Like if your Instagram feed is all your like friends from high school, I encourage you after this podcast to go and find people that you admire. And then who are those people following? Right. I know that this is such different advice than I would give like 10 years ago because we didn't really have social media. And social media gets a real bad rap because, yeah, there's a lot of junk on social media. But I think that if you can curate your feeds and your communities online to be more like you're proactively looking for thought leaders. And I've been on following some people because I'm just getting tired of their stuff. And I want to, I like to see who you're following Janice. Cause I'm like, Janice is smart. She's going places like who inspires Janice, right? Oh, and who inspires other people that I interview on my podcast and just to have also more representation in my feed. Like it's been a lot of like for a while there, like white moms from Brooklyn, because that's who <laughs> I hung out with. Like from my kids were zero to six and I love them and they're still in my feed, but some of them aren't. And you know, I'm looking at just because I don't get out a lot and my social media is my sort of like to go to networking events after work. Now I go on like a live on Facebook or Instagram and I watch people talk there. Right. And so there's a lot of interesting, cool stuff happening on the money front, on the money education front online. You got to be careful though. There's some people that don't know what they're doing. I wouldn't recommend TikTok generally. You know, if you do like find someone funny or interesting on TikTok, like I would supplement that with some books. There's so many great books right now. Oh my yeah. gosh. There's, let's see, Rachel Rogers just wrote a book called oh, We Should All God. Be Millionaires. This I'm is required reading that this to every single person for yeah. birthday, Christmas. I don't care what holiday it is. It is the gift of 2021. And you know, I was at Barnes and Noble this weekend in central Pennsylvania and I was looking for these books and I found a lot of books that were written by people that I know who are white. And I was like, where are the, is this because of where we are demographically, geographically? Like, where's Rachel's book? Where's Tiffany Aliche's book who wrote, Get uh, Good With Money. Get Good With Money, who's been on the New York Times bestseller list like six weeks in a row. Like, yeah. where, why isn't that front and center, you know? Yeah. And so sometimes you got to dig for this stuff, unfortunately, but maybe 
go to your local independent bookstore because they might have more of the right stuff. But we are in a almost like the roaring years of financial education. And with that will come some bad stuff. But mostly I'd say it's really positive and you just got to find your people. I love it. So for folks who are listening to this interview and they're like, I need more Farnoosh in my life. Oh my gosh, all the time. (laughs) Where is the best place for us to follow you and find you? I would love, love, love to get y'all to just listen to one episode of So Money. You know, usually people say that the Ask Farnoosh ones on Fridays are their favorites because then you get to hear other people's money problems. And I get real unfiltered on those episodes. It's just me usually. And so I'm not interviewing anybody, but I am answering people's questions. So if you also have a question for me that you'd like for me to answer, the best way is to go on Instagram and direct message me. I'm Farnoosh Tarabi on Instagram. And those are my two big hangouts is Instagram and the podcast. And sometimes on Netflix, if you're maybe watching Netflix, I am currently in the cast of Money Explained, which is a Vox and Netflix partnership. You've probably seen the other series explain things. So good. And so I'm on the credit cards episode, but it's always fun. I like doing TV, but it's not, doesn't bring home the bacon as much as some people would think, but it's always fun. (laughs) Yeah. There's something about seeing your face on a screen that I don't think you can replicate anywhere else. (laughs) And then when like your mom sees it or your high school friends, right? You know, it's always a fun going down memory lane or reconnecting with people because they saw you on Netflix, you know. (laughs) Well, Farnoosh, I just want to thank you for being here. I mean, this conversation is so impactful, so powerful. And I think you are, and maybe you already know this, but I just want to let you know, you are the reason why so many people like me even decided like, hey, I want to start talking about money because you gave us permission to do that. So I just want to thank you for being such a groundbreaker in the space. And I can't wait, you know, to find out what you're working on next. Cause thank um, you so much. Amazing. That is just the most generous thing. And I'm honored to have been that motivation for you and others. And I'm always happy to support like that's been my thing. Cause not everybody does. I didn't get a lot of this love. And I think that's why I try to just like encourage more is more in this space, right? It's not a zero sum game. You being successful doesn't mean I don't get to be successful, right? We just get to help more people. And if you're in it for the right reasons, that should be good for you. Like that should really motivate you, right? Absolutely. But you know, thank you for inviting me and thank you for the work that you do helping so many people. Congratulations on your own journey and these incredible milestones and I tell you, I was telling my friend the other day, I watched you on a Facebook Live. I was like, I could watch Janice like all the time. <laughs> like, can we get you a seat on The View or oh The gosh. Talk or one of those shows? I mean, come on. You're so kind. Thank you so much. If you thought the only way to get a more defined jawline with natural looking results was through surgery, think again. Juvederm Volux XC is a non-surgical injectable gel filler that improves moderate to severe loss of jawline definition and can help you achieve natural looking results with little downtime. Even better, this improved definition lasts up to one year with optimal treatment. No maintenance required. Improve jawline definition for a smooth sculpted look with Juvederm Volux XC. 
For important safety information and to find a licensed specialist, visit Juvederm.com. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Not for people with severe allergic reactions, allergies to lidocaine, or the proteins used in Juvederm. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. There's a risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. Talk to a licensed specialist to find out if it's right for you. Thanks for listening to today's episode. If you are ready to take your dinero to the next level, sign up for our free 14-page guide, The Financially Lit Latina, the ultimate blueprint for becoming poderosa with your dinero. This 14-page guide includes our best tips on money mindset, budgeting, debt repayment, career, investing, financial independence, side hustles, and more. And you can get it completely free. So to get your copy of the Financially Lit Latina, just head over to YoQuieroDineroPodcast.com slash start. That's YoQuieroDineroPodcast.com slash start and start transforming your dinero story today. Until next time, stay empowered, stay inspired, and stay poderosa. On the Yo Quiero Dinero podcast and associated entities, all information provided is for general information purposes only and does not constitute accounting, legal, tax, or other professional advice. Listeners should not act upon the content or information found here without first seeking appropriate advice from an accountant, financial planner, lawyer, or other professional. We assume no responsibility for information contained on this podcast and associated entities and disclaim all liability with respect to such information, including but not limited to any liability for errors, inaccuracies, omissions, or misleading or defamatory statements. Usage of this podcast and associated contents constitutes an explicit understanding and acceptance of the terms of this disclaimer.